Fuckers, welcome into show notes. Hopefully by now you've heard our election recap discussion between me, 99, and many of the faces. We're going to get into some general feedback and some notes. We're going to get after it right away here. No preamble because we just had a 90-minute preamble that you hopefully, again, have heard. So here we go. First off, it is still Wednesday, the day that we recorded after Election Day, and uh, we have our very first election feedback, and it's from the captain in Pennsylvania. As I said, it's Wednesday. The rubble has cleared on most races in our great state. And congrats to Summer Lee, the first black woman to represent us in the U.S. House, whom I unfortunately did not have the opportunity to vote for. Josh Shapiro buried the hateful campaign of Doug Mastriano, here, here, and Fetterman has sent that carpetbagger Oz back to Joyzy. Unfortunately, it's not all good tidings for that shit for brains. Scott Perry is still representing my district, so there's plenty of work to do here and in other states. Thanks for the feedback, Captain, and congrats, yes, to Summer Lee. We're all pretty psyched about that, uh, even though we did lose in Wisconsin. It is official, which uh, changed between us recording our election recap episode and right now. But uh, we went one for one on our chosen candidates. And uh, we're really happy for the people of Pennsylvania. We had a long discussion about Pennsylvania. So if you haven't listened to our election recap, you can catch it there. And next up, 99, we heard from Celtic Apache, a stalwart <laughs> of the Unfucking Network. What did we have here? Yeah, so Celtic said, I hope this email finds you well and not feeling too much stress on this election eve. I enjoyed the recent episode and look forward to hearing your thoughts on the election results later this week. My thoughts on the episode as well as the elections and the episode being the tough on crime Republicans episode. So my thoughts on the episodes as well as the elections go hand in hand. When you were talking about the messaging being very extreme, but most politicians understanding this is mostly a game in middle of the road policies went out in the end, I thought that was spot on. Unfortunately, I do think that the messaging from Republicans is always simpler, more direct, and fits in line with the majority of Americans' understanding of the country. Americans largely don't trust the government to get policies right. Yeah. Celtic Apache gives a couple of examples here. Republicans talk about small government. It's a big one. Remember Reagan saying that he wanted to shrink government to the size uh, that it can be drowned in the bathtub, which Ew. is uh, something Grover Norquist has kept alive. Americans believe in the founding myths. They're against CRT. They're against taxes. They're against high gas prices. Blaming the Democrats for spending Celtic Apache goes on to say, while the majority of Americans support abortion rights, they don't support late-term abortion, which means Republicans usually win when they want a 15 to 20-week ban on abortions, which is so incredible because that's all we have to do is get everything back to the statute of Roe v. Wade. And the myth that they've been able to successfully propagate in certain parts of this country that late-term abortions are a choice that an actual provider and practitioner would would somehow align with is just crazy. Unless you're talking about the most extreme example where you're sitting there and the doctor is faced with the choice of I save the baby or I save the mother. I mean, these are the only ever examples because the oath of a physician is to do no harm and then it's to make a choice and a judgment call as to who to save. And, you know, usually you would think that it's the life of the mother. Anyway, yes, simpler messages prevail. One of the things we talked about in our election recap was the simple messaging that prevailed in Pennsylvania. And that was a working class message. And what we're hoping is that progressives in Summer Lee, in Josh Shapiro, and in John Fetterman 
have found a pathway forward in what has historically been kind of a tough swing state in Pennsylvania with a lot of blue collar votes to be tabulated that went with Biden and now seemingly have, you know, continued on that trajectory to defend the policies of the working class. That's the winning message here. You take everything else and you strip it away, policy measures and and culture war issues and all of those constructs aside. If Democrats return to their base of having a working class message, they will continue to prevail in all of these elections. It's just not sure if the so-called democratic elites see it that way, but we'll see. Anyway, some general feedback that we had. We have Jason from Minnesota who said, I want to let you know I'm enjoying the show. You skipped John B. Oh, my goodness. So let's talk about John B. <laughs> who said, took some notes Sloop on your- John B. Sloop John B. The Beach Boys song. That's right. So who wrote that? Like in the Beach Boys? That wasn't the one that Charles Manson wrote, is it? No, that's never learn not to love. Ah, okay. Sloop John B's like, we kind of played the Sloop John B. My grandfather. It's, a fun song. it's one. It's my favorite. Yeah. Except the Charles Manson one. I love that one. Yeah. No, I know you're a big fan. <laughs> uh, John B said, took some notes on your violent crime statistics. Been meaning to do that with some of these bad faith right wing talking points. I keep hearing. Got anything on homelessness in liberal cities? Citations Needed mentioned something a while ago about how a lot of that homelessness is blamed on Democrat-run cities can actually be linked to right-wing policies, but didn't go into a lot of detail. Mm. Yeah, it's... Uh, what did I just see? Uh, Benjamin Applebaum, who is an author that we quote quite frequently, he wrote The Economist Hour, just did a hold for it. The fact that I know economists and the book they wrote is like, I'm like, oh, yeah, the Economist Hour. Like, <laughs> well, in what world? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, here it is. So a year ago, Applebaum did an interview with the New York Times. So you can find it. We'll link it in show notes, but you can find it on uh, the New York Times website. It's called Liberal Hypocrisy is Fueling American Inequality. And much of what they're talking about is the homelessness crisis in most of the cities. So the cities where homelessness is the worst, is inexorably linked to the Democratic administrations. Are they also linked to right-wing policies? Yes, to the extent that these are cities that have very big businesses and large employers and not enough housing and space. So the crisis itself is manufactured because we do have a just a volume of housing problems in these urban centers where where these massive companies decide to locate. Some of it people thought was going to be mitigated by the remote working phenomenon, but it is not that has not occurred to enough of a degree to curb any sort of homelessness issues. The policies are ah oh man so it's really loaded. And maybe actually this is worth doing a full episode on because it's something that I would like to tackle and it's something that's near and dear to our hearts. The The blame is to be shared, I believe, equally across the board. It is the result of neoliberal policies that have been supported by Democratic and Republican administrations from the top all the way down to the local municipal level. End of story. Now, everybody along that chain has a role to play. The, the thing that's blowing back on the democratic administrations of these cities is that they themselves, it's very difficult to manufacture new homes 
and enough so with dense housing to house people who then don't have the ability to pay for it. So even if you could build these homes, which is very, very hard and challenging to do in areas like New York, because you can't just put up massive buildings. That's it's really not a thing. And, and expect to pay for them by offering affordable housing because the subsidies aren't there for it. That implies there's a federal government issue and a state government issue and a local government issue. There's also NIMBYism. The places that we have open space to be able to do this are racked by zoning laws that have been propagated through the years by both administrations. So it's an endemic problem. That's why no one's been able to solve this in the major in the major cities and urban areas. Can you explain NIMBY for people who might not know the acronym? Yeah, so NIMBYism is NIMBY, not in my backyard. The, the point that they actually make in this video, which which is a good one, even though to, for me it's a little it's a little slanted, a little one sided. The point that they're making is that we can build these infrastructures and theoretically apply for the ability to support people with vouchers to pay for houses and and get them some of the support and the care that they need and mental health care and all those kind of things. But nobody wants to build these in open spaces because it's controlled by zoning boards. They say that in in the video. Everyone's a liberal in these cities until it comes time to approve a building that will house low-income workers and or homeless. Period. End of story. So how liberal are you? That's how. That's where you know the, the spectrum kind of ends. And it, and it ends with a brick wall, for sure. So we have to think differently about the crisis and we have to think about differently about supporting people. Even if we had the federal programs available to support people in their mental health, addiction, uh, proper welfare reform that would give people sort of a dignified landing if they are out of work or unemployable. Even if we had all of those support measures, we also don't have enough housing. And housing is a function of our neoliberal style economy. So it's not something that we see as a basic right. It's, it's something that we see as investment properties. And you can't have these type of investment properties have a real yield that's going to appeal to most developers that are going to put capital at risk because there's not enough tax incentives or not enough financing incentives in place for them to do this on a large scale. It's a very complicated issue, and I think it's worth us uh, unpacking in a fuller episode. So I appreciate that feedback. So now, do you want to get over to Jason? Sure. So Jason from Minnesota. <laughs> There's too many M states, you know? Someone should do something about that. Do you ever see that uh, stand-up? Uh, was it Gary? The guy who talked about abbreviating the states in the his, like, Conan. Oh, it's it's actually really clever. I know it's like... Old person, Gary Goldman. It's, it's old, funny because I old was person humor. Kind of jokingly say Gary Oldman, and that's like a very oh, similar name. It is. Gary Goldman did it on Conan's show years ago, and it's what kind of made him a, a, a famous stand-up. The process of abbreviating the states again, old person humor, <laughs> but I I love it so much. <laughs> the same type of humor they probably talked about, like collecting coins. <laughs> it's like Flip Wilson kind of. It's just old person humor. I, I don't know how else to say it, but I just think it's so fucking clever and, and I love it. Okay. Well, Will you watch it? Sure. Okay. And I'll link it. Okay. So Jason from MN, just wanted to write in and let you know I'm enjoying the show. I believe I heard you talking about being a fan of boxing and I wonder if you've seen the documentary Unforgivable Blackness by Ken Burns. What I did you think? still own it on DVD and I thought it was extraordinary. Uh, it's about uh, Jack Johnson. 
and it's Jack Johnson. Yeah. Banana pancakes. Oh my God. Did I just mix that up in my head? I mean, they could just both be named that. Okay. No, I didn't. Okay. Yes. <laughs> they are both named that Jack Johnson was the first black heavyweight champion of the world. And the man was true. He, first of all, he's a monster. He was an enormous man. Well, I guess for the time it says here, he was only six feet, but he towered above everybody else in the heavyweight division back then. Uh, and he was totally unbeatable and also broke all of the societal norms of the time because he, he was fighting around the turn of the century and was would would still be talked about today among the pantheon of great fighters in the in the history of the world had his career really not been cut short by by racism. Very interesting character and, and truly a character and a, just a brilliant, brilliant fighter who changed the fight game. So, yes, I've seen it and I really enjoyed the documentary. There you go. Uh, Patrick McGee said a good article about real causes of the current inflation and what confirms that what you have said, Max, on a recent Ralph Nader Radio Hour podcast. He agreed with a guest who was discussing nationalizing the fossil fuel industry in order to better control it. Uh, so the article is from Jacobin. I will say, I like the Jackman a lot. It's a very good source of ideas. But I also often find myself critiquing and criticizing some of their economic logic. Mm. I think there's a lot of fantastical claims that are made that are not necessarily rooted in real politique or real economics. But on balance, I think the Jacobin is a really good source for inspiration of new thinking and new ideas that we we really need to to work into our discussions. So uh, I will definitely check out that. Notice there is no discussion of the trust busting that would be necessary to break up the monopolies which control our world. The article attempts to put a white hat on at least a few Democrats. Fine. As long as one does not lose sight of the real goals of the Democratic Party establishment, it's well known that the DSA carries water for the Democratic Party. For a real socialist perspective, you need to see what the Socialist Equality Party says at WSWS.org. Uh, yeah, agreed. Agreed on all counts. And so I think what Patrick is talking about here, again, is you can talk about nationalizing the fossil fuel industry, but then you also have to talk about nationalizing the energy distribution system because we have, again, we have a siloed system on a state level basis where you have to look at the thing in totality. And yes, it would involve breaking up some of the world's biggest monopolies in this in this industry. So, um, again, that's where that's where I talk about some of the fantastical thinking that comes along with uh, the articles that I've that I've seen in, in Jacobin and some other uh, sources. Anyway, uh, great point. Appreciate you writing in. And, uh, you know, that oil is one of my uh, one of my pet projects. So uh, at some point, I imagine I will refer back to that. Why don't we go down under now and check out what our what our buddy Rafe Raff had to say? It's been a while. I haven't heard from Rafe Raff in a while. <laughs> yeah, so Rafe Raff shared an episode of podcast we like a lot, Outrage and Optimism, about ESGs, which he thinks us and unfuckers will find interesting. And I'll link that in show notes. Mostly touches on the criticisms of ESG from right wing's point of view. Rafe Raff's a little bit behind on UNFTR episodes, but. Uh, Outrage and Optimism briefly mentions BlackRock, quote, embracing ESGs and the criticisms leveraged at them for that reason. That would be a good episode to tie in with recent episodes. 
And let's see. And then a little further down, Rayfreff says, Max, you've been asking, where are billionaires? And while I agree there should not be because we don't want billionaires to exist in the first place, here's another episode of Outrage and Optimism about Australia where they interview Mike Cannon-Brooks, founder of Atlassian. He's a billionaire trying to accelerate the uptake of renewables and EVs. Don't get me wrong, he might be great on the climate front, but I hold no particular love or worship for this dude beyond that, and I have no clear idea what his politics might be otherwise, but still interesting in my opinion. Do you want to read his PSs? Sure. <laughs> Let me say it more clearly this time. If mustard is the winner between ketchup and mayo, then mayo also wins because it's made of mustard. <laughs> oh, he wants to do it in a Trump, Trump voice. It wins bigly. Don't believe the do-nothing radical ketchup supporter. They don't have a big brain. PPS. Would love to join all on fuckers in the Facebook group. Hearing about Maria and Bobby in Ireland warmed my heart. Problem is, I've shunned Facebook years ago because of how much of a shit company it is. Well, it's even more of a shit company as, as of this morning, they laid off 11,000 people. Gotta keep those profit margins. Best of the left have a Discord server. Maybe something to think about if your heads don't explode with the additional load. Yeah, 99 mentioned that recently as a potential option now that we've shunned Twitter. And we haven't yet shunned Facebook because Facebook, we've found at a minimum, uh, has been a good community organizing tool for a lot of the unfuckers. So there's, you know, I think there's 600 and some odd members of the group getting along famously there. It's an easy tool for people to use. I know it's a shit company. Uh, yeah. I heard about a, a, a new one this morning, uh, or I don't know how new it is, but it was new to me. And I'm going to take a look into it. It seems like it might be sort of like Slack, probably between Slack and Discord. Okay. So I don't know if there's like, if it's paid or whatever, but I'll take a look and, and vet some some things and see if there's something that we can I mean, make it's work. different because we're not video, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm always surprised when I see how big Twitch is. Like there's just so much going on. Which is a real problematic company. I Again, so it's, it's hard for me to wrap my head around Oh, oh, we could just go to Rumble, right? Just join Peter Thiel and his boys over at Rumble. Yeah. <laughs> right? Hang out with Glenn Greenwald. We've got, there's too many. Honestly, there are too many right wing. There's Parler. There's Gab. Telegram is used for a lot of that, even though it's not specifically. There's that one. I mean, it, the list goes on and on. Whoa. I'm just getting emotional thinking about it. Well, the only free market of ideas that we've been able to find is through this podcast. Yes. It's the least problematic way for us to disseminate information. Of course. But still troubling because we're riding on the back of networks that, you know, we don't necessarily know. I right? know. It's hard. What it do is. you what do you do? What do you do in that situation? When I mean yeah. fuck, man, I don't know. <laughs> well, the last postscript is a while back you mused about going somewhere overseas, but I don't think you ever considered out loud Australia. Well, no, I think we actually did. Well, maybe at the end of the Australia episode, we were you and I were divvying up uh, which which territory we wanted to live in, right? Yeah. I th well, I think we talked about Australia versus New Zealand. Oh, yeah. We're going to New Zealand. Yeah. The, yep. It's the bugs. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I can't do it. I yeah. can't do the... What are they called? Like more sheep, less spiders. Right? Yeah, then like the, the, those evil caterpillars <laughs> and the birds that fly down and pick like pick you on the head. Well, hang on, because Rafe Raff does continue. Says you'll always have a place to stay if you ever decide to come visit. Hmm. I know we have some Kiwi fuckers that would take us in. We'll just have to do a world tour. That's it. Okay. You All know. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Big tent, room for everybody. Ooh, we could be like a revivalist church. Ooh, even better. Well, that kind of aligns with the cult you're starting. That is true. The cult I've started. Sorry. 99. So just after Max was talking about burnout on the podcast, this is from Aaron N. 
and then fell sick, something I've been mindful of, let him know it's okay to be fragile. Now and again, it's called being human. That's so nice. Unfuckers really are just, I love them very much. They've been very good to me. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Bookstore Kim. I know you get so much email, but I wanted to say my dog is named Chester A. Arthur. So I loved the Strange Bedfellows episode. Mellow Maynard is my household coffee of choice. I dig that. It's mine drinking too. it right yep. now. Yep. Oh, 99 is drinking it right fucking now. Should I take a big slurp into the mic? Go for it. Now that straw, is that sustainable? It is a reusable plastic straw. So good. Every time you say bananas, I smile. Kevin Pollack who's a I know who he is. very respected, not just comedian, but mostly impersonator, right? Mm-hmm. Got famous for really making Christopher Walken's impersonation famous. Mm-hmm. Had a, a show, he was giving a story about a round table of impersonators and they had to say only one word. Mm. And then you had to try and figure out who they were. Yeah, I think that's like an improv game too. Yeah, bananas. And so his was Bananas. Mm. Sean Connery. Close. Bananas. Liam Neeson? Liam Neeson. How good is that? Yeah. How clever are they? I have okay. a particular set of skills. That was... Bananas. You had a... <laughs> yeah, the particular set of skills one didn't sound like him. Bananas. I can only do Stitch. Stitch. From, do it again. Stitch. Oh, how not non-spammable. 99 has an impersonation superpower. Mm-hmm. Not that anybody asked, but I have a few. I'll give you my best one. This is Marvin the Martian. <clears throat> Where's the kaboom? There's supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. The Illudium Q36 space modulator. The creature has stolen it. <laughs> Whatever. So I'm going to have to start writing Stitch into skits when we start them again. <laughs> sure. Stitch. Get Any it? sports movie where the underdog comes back to win is my favorite. Mm. I'm looking forward to watching Warrior. Bookstore Kim, if you do watch it, please let me know because I stand behind my assertion that it's the best sports movie ever made. Unfuckers, make a movie club. Ooh, yeah, why not? We yeah. talk about them enough. Do it. You can watch Stitch. Where would they do it? I don't know. Well, I mean, they can just like, watch it and talk about it. <laughs> Someone can Twitch stream the movie. You Rumble can do slash unfucker movie club. You can do shared uh, streaming on Discord. Like, someone could share their screen. Because we used to do it during the pandemic. That's so cool. During peak pandemic. That's again. so cool. Yeah. So. Like, peak Bo Burnham pandemic. Peak Bo Burnham when recording pandemic, yes. Right. <laughs> Not upon release. Right. I am also a total baby when I get sick. <laughs> Thank you. I feel seen. Love these show notes because they make me feel like a member of a community. I often say thanks for keeping it real, but I mean it. Showing yourselves to the unfuckers is really quite important these days. So thank you for all of it. Love Bookstore Kim. She we does warm you. my heart. Yeah. Right? Now over on Facebook, we got some comments. Shirley DR said, great episode. Is this related to crime? Yes. Okay. <laughs> what I've been saying in memes, you have stated thoroughly and with facts. Keep up the unfuckery. Newt Gingrich is definitely in the room. Is Newt Gingrich still in the room? We had asked unfuckers to tell us who they thought was in the room. I offered really only Steve Bannon as a guarantee for who is in the room of fuckery to create the ideas that eventually go into the think tanks to create white papers, to create talking points for right-wing media that ultimately get picked up 
into legislative agendas that get passed through in model legislation to all the legislatures and eventually sold to us down the pipe. I think whoever did the uh, pandemic documentary, they're in the room. <laughs> Is that a known person or was that sort of like, a, I wonder. There's that one. And then there's the there is like a the Kennedy, which is the anti-vax Kennedy. Um, yeah. The son, Robert Kennedy. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. His documentary. Have you heard about it? I have not. Wait, let me find it. They'll all be they have their own room, but it's like they're like right outside with glasses to the door. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no one invited them, but they're trying. Wait, hold on. I have to find this because the name is absolutely absurd. So Newt Gingrich being in the room, I think is I think it's a healthy call. I, I mean, we'll we'll throw him into our final fifteen on our way to the five. But we did not get enough feedback. Well, ninety nine looks that up by the way. We did not get enough feedback on who unfuckers think is in the room of the of the catastrophic decision making team that creates public policy on the right. I'm going to go on for a second while she looks that up. Jim M. said an excellent episode. Thank goodness for the work of the Brennan Center. I agree. They do great work. How can we get Americans to see that they've been played for decades? Well, it does start with messaging. Now, first of all, the crime messaging is about to disappear over fucking night because the election's over. They're just going to stop, except for some very local, localized initiatives to try and unseat the progressive prosecutors in the handful of states that we mentioned. That will be an ongoing war. You won't hear anything about crime again until the next big election cycle, but it continues with us just hammering away at the messages that even low-level crime and low-level offenses are not committed, I'm generalizing, are committed far less often when people have food on the table, gainful employment, mental health services are covered and they feel stable and secure in their homes, their lives, their jobs, and their positions in society. Yes. No. Worse things. I did find it, but I was wrong. It has it actually has nothing to do with the Kennedy. I thought he was in it. But it's called The Viral Delusion. And it's the untold story behind the pandemic. Mm. And Untold. Their point. The so-called. Aren't they telling it? The so-called <laughs> virus exists only as a mental construct whose existence in the real world has been disproven by science itself. Oh. Wait, the virus was it, in our heads? It exists only on a computer. It's a shocking five-part, seven-hour series. They explode every single major claim from the isolation of the virus to its so-called genetic sequencing. Well, I, this is must viewing. I know. I kind of like I I almost want to watch it, but I know it'll bring me misery. You cannot go anywhere near this thing. But someone, Dr. John, literally die. Dr. John Bevan Smith said it was immensely important and beautifully made. Dr. John Bevan Smith said that? Yeah. Yep. So well. that's that's where I'm at. And look, here's a child. His teddy bear is wearing a mask. Mm. So. I'm just saying. I don't know how these next comments made it in here. Oh, weird. So I'm just going to let you run with them. Perfect. So, as many of you know, Henry the dog made his debut. It was impromptu. Me and my roommate had been planning a photo shoot for him with like a little UNFTR hat, but I just never got around to it. And then we were we were doing some election day tidying up and he was on the couch and um, bundled up. And I said, wait, I got to take a picture. And then I was like, hold on. So I grabbed a, a UNFTR button and I put it put it next to him. And uh, I, got a, I got a picture of him looking real angry, which he does often. And Henry the dog threatened people to go vote. 
Not angry, his resting ugly face. No, he does not. Because Ricky M said, is this the dog that Max called ugly? Yep. Henry, you're perfect. Perfectly ugly. Jana A said, what a good doggo, using his powers of cuteness and grump to do what he can for democracy. That is for sure the bestest of boys. And then Michael no R voted a little while ago. Everyone has a voice in the U.S. Make your voice heard. He didn't say anything about Henry, but... So how's that even a Henry comment? Well, because it was on the picture. I was being inclusive to someone who didn't talk about Henry. You should have been happy oh, about God. that. Henry's adorable. There were so many, so many outtakes that I could have posted. You He's can't just... call Henry adorable and then also call my dog a doofus. Your dog is a doofus. We have donations. New members as well. Because I think unfuckers heard me kind of whining that we weren't anywhere close <laughs> to hitting our goals. So energy profits came through. Max, you put together a hell of a crew to say what's been needing to be said for as long as I've been politically aware. Excellent work. Well, I agree with the crew. Thank you for recognizing that. They are an extraordinary team. Evil Engineer 78, also now a member. A coworker, thank that coworker, turned me on to your podcast. I have since turned on 11 individuals to it. That's the friend raising that we're talking about. And then Evil Engineer backed up the friend raising with some fundraising and became a member. Get them Holy to write shit. in. We'll call them out. Yes, if you get those in 11 <laughs> individuals and your coworker to self-identify and say, I was sent by the evil engineer, we'll call them out on the show. Yeah. Matt L bought a coffee. Love the show. Hope this message finds you hail and hearty, Max. I do. I feel much better. Thank you. Looks like your most recent show notes stirred up the unfuckers, and rightfully so. Congrats on all the new members. And then yeah. we have Maria from Puerto Rico. So this is some criticism mm -hmm. of you. Mm -mm. So first, Maria is happy that you are well again and you. missed you. And unlike 99, she was worried something else happened. <laughs> uh, but precisely because that she loves you. Okay. Here's a quick note to tell you. She takes offense that you're saying that the Latin cultures are far more susceptible to strongman type personalities in office and surging and lurching from far left to far right, which I just heard you say right now. Not offense, not really, but the concept of caudalissimo? Caudillissimo. Gotta look that up. Caudillissimo. Notwithstanding. That statement is not accurate. Because, quote, caudillissimo is not a Latino thing. The susceptibility to, to strongman personalities is not a cultural, collective, quote, personality or ethnic trait that occurs anywhere. Exhibits A through Z. Nazis and Hitler. Trumpism. Including Ron DeSantis. Netanyahu. Viktor Orban. Lukashenko. Putin. Uh, Modi. Xi. Xi, uh, Xi Jinping. Yep. That one. This other one, Erdogan. Erdogan. From, <laughs> yep, from Turkey. I've never seen it spelled. <laughs> Erdogan. LCC. Abdel LCC. Yeah. Maybe most of them, if not all, were initially elected by the people. They're non-Latin people. Friends don't let friends say slightly wrong things that make Muff is vaguely stereotyping. Wink face. Interesting. Yeah, I, well, first of all, obviously, I take that in. I take it very seriously and I accept that criticism. I want to be very deliberate in thinking through this that just because I said Latin American nations are more prone to uh, swinging wildly between the left and the right and susceptible to uh, strongman personalities that come through I wasn't excluding other parts of the world because that has also definitely been an Eastern European trait as well uh, I do think that there is a cultural aspect to it See, a lot of people thought that tr that Trump was a so-called strongman. 
I don't think that he was a strong man and cut from the same sort of cloth because Trump was never an ideologue and is also not a strong man. The things that somebody like a Bolsonaro, which is where this discussion was had originated, the things that somebody like a Bolsonaro uh, gets away with saying publicly finds a, a, a healthy audience among certain figures. And, and I'm talking about uh, homophobia, transphobia, any sort of other phobias that they that that break from the norm, anything that is not, you know, heteronormative, um, they they have a tendency to to use those as as wedge cultural issues. And of course, they're always, uh, you know, strong on the on on economic issues and tend to at least over the last half century or so lean into neoliberal policies, free markets, and the such that side on uh, big business. So it's interesting that that those strongman personalities in Eastern Europe and places like India, to me, are a reflection of more patriarchal and machismo type of cultures and societies. So I want to look into this a little bit further. So I I didn't mean to say that it was uh, Latin culture to the exclusion of everybody else, because I I think that this does uh, find its way through. Now, China's interesting. Uh, When we go over to East Asia, it, it, I, I think that's, interesting to, to look at whether or not we would characterize those as strongman type personalities or more a more ideological strain of the state. So to me, Xi Jinping is not a quote unquote strongman as much as he is a, he is an ardent supporter of the the state apparatus. A strongman to me is more fascistic and more dictatorial, more willing to take and centralize authority and control of economic measures and cultural measures and education as well. That's not something that I necessarily see. I, I see I see like a Xi Jinping being more supportive of the state apparatus, but I see somebody like a uh, Nandra Modi taking control of a lot of those economic, uh, you know, oh, I don't want to parse this too finely. Let me just say that, yes, I agree that it is not strictly a Latin American thing. What I was saying with Latin American nations having the propensity to swing more wildly, I do still stand behind that because you will see trajectories of certain South American countries and Caribbean countries go from worker revolutions and socialist reforms all the way to strongman dictatorial governments within a couple of generations. To me, that's fascinating. The worker revolt is always right below the surface and always palpable. And it's one of the reasons that I admire the Latin American countries and democracies as much as I do. So I feel you, I take that criticism and and I, and I definitely understand where you're coming from. And it's something that I'd love to uh, explore further in a greater historical context. So thank I you. I did Google this word. So it's a system of political social domination based on the leadership of a strong man that arose after the wars of independence from Spain in the 19th century Latin America. So just to, con- you know, to contextualize and also, or maybe I'm, I'm imagining someone who's driving and they're going to be like, I need to, I want to look that up. And then they forget. And yeah. now you know. That's obviously referring to, to Franco, which probably has, which probably can, can, can go to Castro uh, Peron through to Bolsonaro. There's, there's like a type, <laughs> but it's probably, it's not, again, it's not fair 
to just paint all, all Latin American and Caribbean countries with, with the same brush. So again, thank you. I appreciate uh, being called out on that, Maria, as I, as I always do. And that's that. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for hanging with us. I hope you enjoyed the election episode. I hope uh, you stuck with us through the end of this. We have a very tight deadline coming up this weekend. I hope, I hope that I make the deadline to record our episode for this weekend in time. Just putting it out there, the possibility exists that it might drop on Sunday and not Saturday, but we will let everybody in the Facebook group know. And uh, we will not put that out on Twitter. So you'll have to go over to Facebook to check that out or Instagram. Who's letting the people in the Facebook group know? <laughs> on Facebook and then Oh, Knudsen someone will, do will what share. Okay. Does. I was like, what? <laughs> all right. That's uh, Thanks for that's sniffing into the mic. I know. I'm, I'm really backed up now. Gross. Thanks. Okay. See ya. Bye.